0: Thank you for tuning in to the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Firsts are always memorable, aren't they? You, you never forget your first car. Mine was an 86 Vette, seriously, but not a Corvette, a Chevette. I want to show you this one right here. Check that out. That was my first car. My grandma gave it to me. She was all excited, and you know, you, if your grandma gives you something, even though you hate it, you got to drive it anyways, right? It looked like an egg. It had no power. How many of you guys ever, like, ridden in a Chevette before? Man, this, man, you're not missing out on much. You know, it had top speeds of 45 miles per hour. That's what you can really, unless you go uphill and it goes down to 25. But you could really get it going if you went downhill. But it was in my first car coming downhill that I got in my first accident. And I I hit a concrete barrier. And let me tell you, a Chevette does not have the agility and the handling power of a Corvette. And I quickly found that out. So if you have a Chevette, don't drive it 65 miles an hour coming down a hill. And it was in my first accident that my dad, who was an EMT and his friends, responded to that accident not knowing it was me. And it was in my first accident. I took my ride in my first ambulance. Thank God I wasn't hurt. They just gave me a ride to the fire station because my mom could pick me up. My dad was, like, just shaking up. And the EMTs, seriously, that day that were on there said the reason that I did not get injured is because I was such a muscular person at that time. That when I came down there, instead of letting it hit me, my then 300-pound bench press, seriously, began to really bend the wheel. And I kept myself from no airbags, no everything. And I thank the Lord. I'm doing a humble brag there. But, yes, back in the day, before I discovered Torchy's Tacos, I was quite the, phys- quite the, quite the specimen. I kind of looked a little bit like Isaiah, but not that good, not that good. But I still remember my first girlfriend. who was in seventh grade. Her name was Lynn she was an eighth grader. I felt like the man dating an older girl. She'd walk me to basketball practice every afternoon. We'd hug, but I'll never forget. It was having my first girlfriend. As she was walking me to basketball practice, she gave me my first kiss. And as she gave me my first kiss, something happened that blew my mind. She began to open her mouth and start licking my tongue. It was disgusting. Something like, what are you doing? I broke up with her the next day. It was, oh, I'm like... What kind of sicko is this? I remember going to basketball practice. I'm laying out. I have an upset stomach. I can't even run. I'm like, dude, what kind of person is that? <laughs> Who licks somebody's tongue when they kiss him? It's sick. See, first can be memorable. Your first kiss, your first car, your first home, your first child. I won't tell you that story. Your first job. But do you remember the first time you experienced God? Like move in her life in a supernatural way like wow like god showed up like this was a move of god like man it was an unbelievable let me let me tell you if you've never experienced god like that you can and this morning we're continuing our series called wonder life and the title of my message this morning is this don't miss the wonder because what's interesting about the first miracle that Jesus performed, most of the people that were experiencing this miracle were oblivious that there was actually a miracle going on in their midst. The story is found in John chapter 2, and I want us to pray. And I want you to say this, Lord, I want you to work in my life. I don't want to miss the wonder of what you want to do in me. Just tell them, Lord, I want everything you have for me. Teach me this morning. Amen. John chapter 2. I'm going to read you the story of the first miracle on the third day. A wedding in Cana took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine, woman. Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So he filled them to the brim. And he told them, now draw out and take it it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And I want you to understand this. Read this, circle, underline, highlight, smiley face. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Underline that, powerful. And then they called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And what Jesus did there in Cana and Galilee was the first of the circle, this, signs through which he revealed his glory. I want you to notice verse 11. This is not just the, miracle jesus says it's a sign jesus chose this particular miracle to be his first sign and the book of john john records eight miracles very strategically the point to a sign what jesus was and john 20 30 he says jesus did many more miracles than that that you could not contain in a book all the miracles that that jesus did but john records eight miracles because The reason that Jesus did miracles, they were never an end unto themselves. The miracles were always a pointer. The scriptures called them here, they called them signs. They pointed beyond themselves to something greater, a greater reality. See, Jesus did not prove that he was God by levitating. He did not pull a David Blaine. He didn't freeze himself into a block of ice into the middle of Jerusalem for six months. He didn't do car tricks. He didn't do any crazy stuff that you see some of these street musicians do. Jesus' miracles were not random. They always had a message. They pointed beyond themselves to something far greater. So let me give you some examples. In John chapter 6, Jesus multiplied bread and fish and fed 5,000 people. He got a Chick-fil-A meal and he fed all around Rock. It was amazing. And Jesus explains that the point of that miracle isn't that he could do a magic trick with Chick-fil-A, but that he was the bread of life. And those who are spiritually starving can come to him and have their deepest, needs filled In john chapter four jesus meets a a lady with a difficult past he reveals to her he knows everything about her he knows all her dark secrets and all the things about her that nobody else knows and yet he loves her anyways she is known fully and loved fully and what jesus is telling her that's the way i am i know everything about you yet i love you and that the love that you're longing for is not found in any relationship it's found in me And for Jesus, the first miracle he does is he turns water into wine. And this miracle doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Actually, Dr. Reynolds Price, a very uh, well-known, very prominent professor of English who passed away in 2011 at Duke University, put out a book in which he translated the Gospels. And in the introduction of the Gospels, this is what he says. If you read this and you're a writer, you think to yourself, you know this must have happened. Because if you were inventing a biography of Jesus, you would have never invented for the inaugural sign a miraculous solution to a mere social embarrassment, like the way he puts it. And he begins on to write, if I were a writer and if I was inventing the life of Jesus, I would have invented a a miracle far more grandiose than just turning water into wine and extending a party to go uh, three days rather than two. And think about this. Like, like I thought about this. If I, if I was the promoter of Jesus, if I was Jesus, I would have sent out a tweet. I'm like, meet me downtown Jerusalem. I would have picked out all the lame and the blind. I would have made arms come out. I would have made people see. I would have done all these creative miracles. And then I would have posted it on Instagram. I'd tell them, post it. And I would have created all this social buzz. I would have wanted everybody to know. That's the way you wanted this big miracle to start off your ministry. But Jesus' miracle, the thing that blows my mind, the thing that's out Absolutely fascinating. He didn't walk on water. He didn't raise somebody from the dead. He simply did a party. It wasn't dazzling or spectacular. And what's interesting to me the most, it was a private miracle. And why did Jesus perform the miracle this way? Verse 11 tells us this. Why? It was to reveal his glory. Like, wh- what does that mean? Well, Moses in the Old Testament is a parallel to Jesus in the New Testament. Moses represented the law and Jesus represents grace. If you remember the first miracle that Jesus did in the Old Testament and when he was telling Pharaoh to let his people go, he says he changed water into blood. It was a sign of judgment of death. That's the law. That's what the law brings. But here, Jesus in the New Testament The miracle that he does is he changes water into wine. And wine was a sign of joy, a sign of life. And this is what it points, that the law brought death, but Jesus is here to bring joy and life. The law brought death. But Jesus would take the cup of God's wrath and righteousness and judgment. He would shed his blood. He would die in our place. He would take the judgment so that we could take the cup of communion and we can share in his presence and we can have joy and we can have a relationship with him. That's why the psalmist says in his presence there is fullness of joy because there is only joy with Christ. And what Jesus is pointing is, hey, you're trying to find happiness, you're trying to find joy, but I'm the only one that can keep the party truly going because every party stops without me. And thus, we see the glory of the gospel here. That's what it means that he revealed his glory. We see beyond what this miracle is pointing to. So now, as we see that, let's unpack this first miracle together because it's so rich. In this story, we will learn how to activate God's miracle working power in our own lives. Let's go to verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And it says Jesus and his disciples and his family was there. Jesus, if you study this parable, I mean, study this story, you see he had just called his disciples in the previous chapter. And these men are going to turn the world upside down. And if you have three years to spend with disciples and people that you're training, you you would want to get to business quickly. You would want to train them and teach them. But but Jesus, the first thing that he does after he calls the disciples is he goes to a party. I love that. I think Jesus gives us a great example of the balance of life. Life needs to be balanced. It's not just work, work, work. There's got to be tension. There's got to be balance that needs to be uh, happening. While he's at a wedding. I want you to understand to see what happens. A crisis comes up. They run out of wedding. And here's what I think is a great example to us. As we just simply live our lives, we're going to see needs. And in those moments, we're going to have an opportunity to meet the needs that are in front of us. Jesus was just going on a party, enjoying life, but he wasn't there just thinking about himself. He was thinking about others. It's a great example of how to live. Now, I also want you to notice this. If something's important to you, it's important to Jesus. Many commentators, as I read and I studied this passage, they had a hard time that Jesus performed such a menial miracle as turning water into wine is his first miracle. So many commentators. But this is what I thought about. Every miracle, Jesus, every miracle is menial when he can create the universe. Every miracle is a small miracle when he spoke the world into existence. So nothing you're facing is too small that God doesn't want to intervene, that Jesus isn't concerned about. And if it matters to you, it matters to Jesus. What a great comfort to us. We have a God who is so concerned about refreshments at a wedding party that he intervenes and overrides the laws of nature and he turns water into wine. So know this. Whatever it is that's important to you, whatever it is that you care about, even if it seems menial, you have a God that is concerned. Man. So going back as we look at the historical background, Canaan was Canaan was a small village, about nine miles. It wasn't even a city from Nazareth. Maybe 60, 70 people, scholars tell us. So Jesus. Most likely had a connection with the family. That's why he is invited to this party. And let me tell you a little bit about Eastern and Western weddings. They're totally different. At a Western wedding, the bride is the focus. In a Western wedding, the, the groom is like the necessary evil, right? It's like, ah, who even cares about the groom? It's all about the bride. They sort of crawl into the side of the room, but when it comes down, the, the doors open. Done, done, da-done, dun, boom! All eyes, magic lights, camera. And the groom is kind of like forgotten. But in the Eastern wedding, it was totally different. The groom is the focus. And the focus of the wedding party is the party and the celebration afterwards. The groom would prepare an entire year for this wedding party. He would be betrothed to the bride for a year. And during that year, he would grind it out. He would build a house. He would save some money. And he would save enough money. He would wait till he had enough money saved so he can throw an adequate adequate wedding feast because if he didn't it would it was a big shine, sign of disrespect so by doing this by putting his money aside by throwing an adequate party he showed to everyone that he was going to be a good provider for this woman so it was a huge thing and at the feast they would celebrate for days they still do this in the east and i've been to india several times and if you've ever been to india you'll be in the streets and the people will be partying for days wedding parties still go on for weeks in eastern culture it's pretty amazing And weddings would be the highlight for everybody in the village, especially in a place like Cana. It's not a time where you had uh, Airbnbs or you had hotels or people would travel. Like Jesus, if you study his life, he never traveled more than 30 miles from his hometown. You wouldn't go on long vacations. So weddings were pretty much the climax of the culture. And everybody would look to that. It was like the vacation that everybody was looking forward to. And commentators say that the average person was invited to one or two weddings a year. It's not like they were happening all the time. So everybody in Cana was looking forward to this miraculous event. So for a wedding party to run out of wine, it was a big deal for everybody. It was so serious. It was literally a crime, not to mention it would be a huge embarrassment, especially in an Eastern shame-based culture, you would be looked down upon, and that would be kind of a red mark on your life forever. And what happens is this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, somehow finds out this wedding party has run out of wine. She seems to have a close relationship with the groom's family and she comes to Jesus and she believes that Jesus could perform a miracle. She had an indication that Jesus could move in this situation. How do you think she knew? Well, maybe because when she gave birth to Jesus, she was still a virgin, you know. That's probably how she, like there's something supernatural about Jesus. that She probably remembered the the words that were spoken to her from the angel Gabriel, that he would be the Messiah. So she knew that the Messiah would be prophesied to do miracles. And as we unpack this, I want you to notice four attitudes that released God's miracle-working power in this situation. The first is found in verse 3. Look at it. Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Miracles start when you take a knee to Jesus. Mary believed that he could help. And this is what I want you to know. Jesus does nothing without prayer. Prayer is essential for every miracle. Mary comes to him with a need, with help. She comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you could help. You could do something here. A miracle starts when you believe that Jesus can move in your situation and you ask him for help. Jesus does nothing without prayer. The founder of AA has, had many, has, allowed, many people, that has allowed many people overcome addictions. He would say Jesus could, and he would if he were so. So here's my question for you. Do you believe Jesus can? And do you believe that Jesus is willing to move in your life? That's the big thing. For God to move in your life, you got to understand this thing. you got to come to the faith that Jesus can, and not only that he can, that he will. The brother of James who grew up watching Jesus perform miracles says, Man, the reason that we have not is because we ask not. And maybe the reason that we're not experiencing God move in supernatural, incredible ways is that we're not constantly living in this attitude of prayer where we're asking God to move in our life. If you look at the miracles of Jesus, every one of them were initiated because somebody took a need to Jesus and that began to spark a move of God in their life, and if we want God to move in our lives, if we want God to move in our church, and we want God to move in our families, it starts with prayer. So our prayer is a priority in this church. That's why the first Wednesday of the month, actually this Wednesday, is prayer night. And it's an amazing thing. And, And what I've understood is, over this past two years, God has been doing big things in my heart as I've been Understanding the power of prayer. I've learned over and over that God answers prayer as a church. We prayed and we fasted, and God gave us land in the heart of round rock that only God can give us. But here's the problem. So many times we see those big miracles, "Oh, God gave the church land. He provided 700,000 dollars. That's good for them. But how about me? But here's what we forget. We forget we serve a God who cares about the little details of our lives, that He is a God who turns water. And, a wine. and if it's important to me, it's important to him. So here's the question I have. If God's going to move in your life, you got to believe that he cares about every little thing in your life. Do you? I'm telling you, he does. And I'm telling you, he moves through prayer. And I have seen this more than life. And this is what I'm challenging through this series. I want you to live a life of awe and wonder where you are constantly seeing God answer your prayers. And over the last two years, I have just been awakened to the power of prayer and the power of God. Let me just give you one example of the small details that God does. I've, I've always had a heart for Africa, and I love National Geographic. I can be watching that for days. And at the beginning of 2018, I was watching a movie, Black Panther. You guys, man, we've showed that in at the movie series. And this is what's interesting to me is why, why I watch movies, God always speaks to me. He's always using these sidelines. That's why, what I do at the movie series. And as I was watching Black Panther, I was thinking about the continent of Africa, how much need there is for Christ, the poverty, the challenge that they're facing. Then I was thinking about how much I love animals and how how I love watching all the, I just get fascinated, I can watch National Geographic for hours. And I remember praying at Flick's Brewhouse, simple prayer. Lord, it'd be a bucket list moment for me to go to Africa. I love to preach it. I love to also look at animals, make a way. And literally at that moment, I I felt like God says, I love you. And I could do that. A month later, one of our missionaries reached out to me, and he invited me to teach local pastors in Africa. They would, he said, man, somebody had paid a businessman to take care of everything because they needed to be trained, so they would take care of my lodging, my meals, my travel, and they wanted to gift me a safari because they wouldn't pay me so I can see all these animals when I went to Africa. Like, here's the thing. God cares about those little things in your lives. This past November, I went to Africa. I went to seven cities, three different countries. I spoke to 21 nations in Africa. But not only that, I got to see lions and hippos and elephants and buffalo. And I had an amazing time. And let me tell you, if my God cares that much about me, he cares that much about you. And maybe the reason that we're not experiencing some of these things is because we just need to pray and we need to say, God, I believe that you are a God who cares and you take care about me. You'll even turn water into wine. He'll take care of small details. And here's the question I have for you. Are you walking in wonder with how God is moving and living and answering your prayers? He wants you to be. The next, next attitude I want you to notice is this. Not only did they have prayer, but this is so important, they had wholehearted obedience. Look what his mother said to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. Miracles begin in prayer, but they come to fruition through obedience. And sometimes Jesus, maybe not sometimes, all the time, Jesus will ask you to do things that don't make sense. Especially when he's challenged you. Give 10% of your money to him. Serve more. Don't take that job. Don't do this. Like, man, it doesn't make sense. Like 10 years ago, God asked me to move to a city, start a church when I didn't know a single person. I didn't have a job. I had no insurance. I had no place to live. I obeyed God even when it didn't make sense. And I can say 10 years later that the rewards of obedience far exceed the requirements that God has established a church hundreds of people have come to Christ marriages have been restored addicts have been set free God has given us 10 acres of land in a city that is landlocked of land God wants to start a freedom center I could see houses there where we begin to help kids that are aged out of the foster care God has set up this amazing thing and it's not just for us and I look at it and what if I would not have followed God when it didn't make sense let me tell you your greatest miracle and your greatest break- through is tied to your obedience because obedience is your responsibility. Outcome is God's responsibility. What if we live like that when we say God do whatever He tells you to do. See, obedience and miracles go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Why is it so important? Why is obedience such high on God's list? Here's why. because obedience shows our absolute trust in him. And when we trust him, he says, that's a person I can move through and work through. If there's an area where you need to trust him, let me tell you, the rewards of obedience far exceed the requirements. It might be scary to write that type check, but God can tell you he is more than faithful. It might be scary to start that business. It might be scary to take that step of faith. But if God is telling you, do it. And look at this. Look what he tells the servants to do. Something that is absolutely crazy. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. These jars were used for the Jews to wash their hands. When they would come, they would put their stinky feet in there. They had all this nuts. I want you to... These jars contained dirt, foot fungus... Dead skin, they were filthy, they were nasty, and they were disgusting. Like man, this said, "Come in this is like, Jesus, just so stuff." And they, they didn't even wash them. The water just stayed there. Imagine somebody just washes their hands and it just kind of just stays there, stays there. And after so ceremony people just washing their feet, washing their hands, you probably get fungus by putting your hands in there. But yet, look at this, just painting the picture, right Yet Jesus used common, unclean pots as containers for the first miracle. And Jesus still uses unclean, undeserving vessels to carry miracles like you and me. If you think you're undeserving, if you think you're not good enough, if you think God could never work in my life, let me tell you, you are a perfect person to carry a miracle because God uses the unclean, the undeserving, the overlooked, and the ostracized and he used the thing that was the most disgusting thing to carry his first miracle. That's another sermon to preach together. I'll get off of that one I'll go back to this one. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, I love this, fill the jars with water. Miracles start with prayer. They're walked out through obedience, but they show up in the ordinary. Ordinary moments, ordinary vessels, ordinary people. As Jesus was getting ready to perform the first miracle, the people that he chose to work through were these servants. Servants were used through the most menial tasks, and he chose these menials. Jars were used for ceremonial washing. and I want you to, What blows me away that Jesus didn't involve the disciples that he had just called. He didn't involve the religious leaders. I believe Jesus did this very intentionally because throughout his ministry, Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the servant of all. So Jesus starts off his first miracle with a servant, and when he begins to end off his ministry, what does he do? He begins to be a servant. So he shows us that if you want to see God move, you got to serve. The simple lesson for me and for you, if you want to see miracles, start serving others. Jesus uses servants. He uses the ordinary and the overlooked to do amazing things. And, and I love what these servants do. He asked them, what he ask them, fill the jars with water. When God does a miracle, the first thing he does is he involves us in doing something ordinary. We can fill water pots. We can't change water into wine. We can do the ordinary. Only God can do the extraordinary. And I love the, what the text says. This is my favorite part of this passage. He says, they fill them to the brim. They went all the way. This speaks to their faith. Sometimes God asks us to do ordinary things, and we think, oh, I don't want to use my energy doing that ordinary stuff. I'm waiting for my big moment. I'm not going to settle for that. I need to step on. I want, I, I want to use my energy or my job. I want to start off with doing this big supernatural thing. Like when, when I first started at the church, it was just super ordinary. Super ordinary. An ordinary conversation. An ordinary prayer. An ordinary thing. I I just didn't get up. and start preaching and people started coming. Ordinary. Let me tell you, God works in the ordinary. And I like the attitude these servants have. That's the attitude I want to fill them up. They said, fill them to the brim. When God asks you to do something, how do you do it? When he asks them, they do the ordinary all the way up. Like the writer of Ecclesiastes says, whatever my hand, hand finds to do, I'll do it with all my might. So many times we think that God, when God uses us, there has to be fireworks, flashing lights, goosebumps. But we forget that God works through the ordinary. An ordinary mom telling her kids Bible stories and taking time to invest in them. An ordinary dad with a busy schedule saying, you know what, I don't need to take that overtime shift. I'm going to go to my son's baseball game and I'm going to pour into the next generation. An ordinary conversation with your neighbor or a hurting person at H-E-B that can ultimately determine the course of their life. It's ordinary greeters who get to church early, who invest, and they make somebody who's walking into church feel welcome for the first time. Ordinary teachers who are teaching Bible, school, Bible lesson stories to kids for the first time as they hear the stories of faith ordinary cafe workers create an environment that come in so people can feel welcome you'll never know the difference you will make in somebody's life by doing the ordinary lorraine is the name of an ordinary person that most people will never know izzy's the only one that knows her because we went to the same church growing up she was my sunday school teacher and when i was in elementary my parents didn't go to church and i walked to church as a little kid across the street because they gave candy after every class her class had a handful of stu- students at best, and she would have one of these charts where they put little stickers, and you get a sticker for being quiet, I never got a sticker for that. But you got a sticker for memorizing the verses, for saying your lesson, for bringing your Bible. And she would tell me stories about David and Goliath, Daniel and the Lions, then, Samson the Strong man. And we would memorize verses, and if you got enough verses memorized, then she would take you out to pizza on a Tuesday night, and it was amazing. I would always want to go to pizza with Lorraine, and then she would take a brad, bunch of bratty kids all five of us in her van and every Sunday I remember she would get down there and I remember walking to class early and I would see her praying over her room. I would see her praying in the spirit. I could see her setting up. She was just teaching five kids, but you would think she was teaching 5,000 kids you meant she put so much time and energy into those five kids and she got up and she taught like that room was full was cool, uh, was full but little did lorraine know that one of those five kids was a man that was one day going to become a pastor and a church planter that he would one day go to round rock and they would plant a church and that the lesson she taught 30 years ago would be taught to hundreds of people in round rock texas because god works through the ordinary What are you doing with your ordinary opportunities opportunities that God has given you every day? I want to show you one of the heroes of Freedom Church as she is making a difference in future generations. Watch the screens.
1: Hi, Freedom Church family. My name is Sunny. I have been coming to Freedom Church for over seven years now, and it's been an amazing experience, an amazing journey full of, all sorts of movements of God and learning and uh, relationships and community building that's been really enjoyable and wonderful and amazing and filled with wonder. Uh, When I first came to Freedom Church, being a part of the kids' ministry team, I started that almost immediately, almost as soon as I got to Freedom Church. And we've seen that evolve from being at the Sam Bass location to moving over here and then expanding and what that looked like and how we moved to two services and how Kids Church went to, from being, you know, we have five or six kids in a service to now, it's not unusual for us to have 25 or 30 kids in every single service. Um, my nephew's and niece actually started coming last year. My nephew went to youth camp for the first time, had such an amazing time that his family started coming to Freedom Church with him. So they've all been attending regularly. It's been amazing to see and then my uh, my other nephew and my niece were both baptized uh, when we had our property uh thing up in up in August, which was amazing. So because of Freedom Church, because this church exists, because of what God is doing and what he has done, you know, my family members have drawn closer to Jesus. I've drawn closer to Jesus. We've got to be a part of this story that's unfolding. And I can't wait to see what he does next. You know, now we own a piece of property on Sam Bass where we're going to build. And then, you know, we're going to look back in five or 10 years or whatever that timetable looks like. And we're going to be expanding again. And we're just going to continue to be in awe of everything that Jesus has done. Um, and I'm just so proud To be a part of it and so thankful to be along this journey with you all, and just grateful for our leadership and for our pastor um, and for all of the staff and the leaders of this church. Uh, My life is not the same, and I'm just grateful for everything that God has done and everything He's going to do.
0: See, in this miracle, we see prayer, we see obedience, we see ordinary moments, people, and vessels. And in verse 8, this is what I want you to see. We see faith-filled servanthood. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And I underline this, they did so. If you read carefully, these verses tell us how that miracle happened. Now draw some out and take it. The master of the banquet tasted it and it had been turned into wine. When they took it out, it was still water. When it came out, Into their hands, and the cup, it became wine. And the amazing thing about this miracle, commentators say, just like when Jesus fed the 5,000, this miracle happened again and again and again and again. Every time they took a step, every time they went down there, God began to do the miracle. These servants had this continual trust, faith, and obedience to Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. He never lets us be comfortable. He never says, "Oh, you did good for two weeks. I'm all, just chill out. You need a time for rest." Oh, here's what I know. What the Lord spoke to me 12 years ago. He says, "Benito, I'm calling you out of your comfort zone." And for the last 12 years, He's called me out of my comfort zone in every single way. And I'm glad He has, because I can tell you, as I serve the Lord, just from my opportunity, sometimes I get together and I pray and I see God and I th- think of every story I have, think of everything that I do when I preach a sermon, and I think, "Oh, snap." In Texas, Sunday comes every seven days. I gotta do it again. What am I gonna say next week? Told every joke, every story. Every, I don't even got nothing else. And, and I'm like, Lord, help me. And, and what I do is, I gotta continually faith and trust and say, God, it's water. But Lord, I'm hoping by the time Sunday comes, if You touch it, He could turn it into wine, and that's what it means. You might not have everything together. You might have been maybe not. You might not be able even to understand. I don't know how it's going to happen. But if you say, God, I'm going to get my cup and I'm going to put it in there. And I'm going to let you, even though I don't understand, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to believe that you can turn this water into wine. And you can keep a party going. And that's what I'm so thankful for. And what's amazing happens in these next verses. Watch, look at this. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine and he did not realize it wow a miracle happened god did his first miracle and he didn't even realize it he did not realize where it come from but look at this this is so powerful though the servants who had drawn the water knew, here's the truth of this passage servants see miracles a huge crowd is there Everybody is celebrating. Jesus has just performed his first miracle. And the Bible says something that absolutely blows my mind. Most people didn't even realize a miracle had just happened. And that's what happens in life. That's what happens in most churches. That God is moving, and people don't even say the miracles. And here's if you want to see miracles, you've got to start serving. Because it's servants who see miracles. People walk in and they see a growing church. They see plans to build 10 acres of land. But what they don't see is the days of fasting and prayer that many of you spent over the years. That we started the year with 21 days of fasting. That we started August in prayers and fasting. They don't see the sacrifice. They don't say how many of you guys gave sacrificially. You didn't go on a vacation. You didn't upgrade your car. You weren't able to do that. But you gave and you sacrificed so that we could buy the property. They, they don't see that. They'll just come in and they'll say like, wow, like, that's awesome. Look what, this is cool. I can enjoy it. But what's happened is service begin in the background. They see all that God is doing. Next year, at this time, about this time, people will walk into a brand new facility off Sandbass Road in Round Rock and they're going to be amazed. They're going to see, like, wow, this is so cool. Man, it's so amazing. It's so incredible what's happening. Man, I want to be a part of this, but here's what we get a chance to do we get a chance to see the story unfold. We know that at the end of 2017, we just had $1,500 in the bank. We knew that last year, at this time, we needed $120,000 in a month to take. Place, we began to see the miracles. And what I want to tell you, Freedom Church, is I want to thank you for being in the front row and seeing God do miracles. Because the is gonna come where people are gonna go, Wow, this is awesome. But we'll we'll remember when we were in the storefront. So. You know what we'll remember. Keith, we'll remember those early days where work five, di- five five jobs. We come in, we work till five. And you volunteered all that time to reconnect us and you stayed here till twelve, working at Gerloff. You were tearing down this, painting all this. Man, they don't see that. They'll remember the time that hey, you were the one that gave, so they can have that first chair to sit on. They'll remember that hey, they see kids worshiping in the front, but they'll remember the service of youth ministry, then the kids ministry that. Cassie, Izzy's wife, spent all those years getting ready a generation to walk with Christ and lay the foundation. Servants see the miracles. Tommy, people will walk in and they'll see our computer system and the new places we have to get, but they don't know the the hours and 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 the hours that you put behind the scenes to make it all happen. People see a smooth and fast purchase of the land. But they don't see how much Wade works in the background, working through everything. Oh, God has spoken about the team got together and we prayed right there, not knowing how we're going to do this, not knowing we didn't have anybody. Why has it been sold? Why do the deals keep falling through? Can we even build on that land? We remember getting down and praying. And that next day, God led in us to an architect, civil engineer, and we had all the answers that would take months to find. And just one day through prayer, we saw the miracles. What's crazy to me, is Jesus work is working on the behalf of this couple, and they don't even realize it. And God is working on behalf of your life behind the scenes, and sometimes we don't even realize it. But here's my question for you. Will you enjoy the miracles like the wedding party? Will you be a spectator of the miracles like the disciples they just watched the miracle take place? Or will you participate in the miracle like the servant? My prayer, Freedom Church, is that we be a church full of participators of the miracle. Because look at this. What happens when we... Participate in the miracles, look at verse 11, and his disciples, and this shows you where they're at, they put their faith in him. Because when we serve, people find Jesus. They find Jesus. But it only happens when we serve. On your desk and outside, there's an opportunity as we grow as a church, and we want you to be a part We want you to find your place. We want you to serve. You have things that you can give the church that nobody else can have. Man, if we're going to get to this next level, we need you. God wants to use your gift to go to that next place because God wants to restore marriages. God wants to establish a freedom center. God wants to plant churches. Man, there's housing divisions going up all over. the Man, this place is blowing up. This city, literally the nation is moving here. And God wants to use this church to plant churches all over the city but it happens with servants. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to ask, your que- ask yourself this question. Lord, I'm obeying you fully. Is there an area where I need to obey? Am I being prayerful? Lord, is there an area where you want me to serve? Jesus, I pray as I do my best as your feeble servant to preach your message, I pray that you would challenge your people you would speak to them. Thanks again for listening to the freedom church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.